Welcome to the C21 podcast. Over the past few weeks, we've been speaking to content industry leaders about what they've learned during the pandemic and how things will be different going forwards. In a series titled Coming Up Next, co-produced with York University's Sign Programme, we've heard from writers, directors, showrunners, producers and business leaders about what happens post-2020. On today's show, we catch up with British writer come US showrunner Simon Mirren and Handmaid's Tale director Carrie Scogland, both of whom believe all of the changes this year has thrown at us will alter the business for good. My name's David Jenkinson. Thanks for listening. Simon Mirren is one of the UK's most successful writing exports, having spent 20 years in Hollywood on shows including Criminal Minds and Versailles. He believes the pandemic is a watershed moment that will lead to new voices taking control of creativity and that as an experienced showrunner, his main task is now to put back what he's taken from the business and help the next generation step in. He says the old structures are collapsing and that fresh shows from nowhere, like normal people, are redefining the rules. Uh, My name is Simon Mirren. Um, I'm an executive producer and writer. I live in Los Angeles, California, been here for 17 years. Um, I've written, produced and directed uh, various different uh, shows. I was part of the Spooks team in season one, um, Casualty, very early on, Waking the Dead. And I shifted over to Los Angeles and my first project here was uh, Without a Trace. And then I moved on to Third Watch, which we filmed in New York, and then Criminal Minds. And then lastly, uh, I was responsible for creating a show called Versailles, in Paris, France. In March, when uh, the, the, the virus began, it, 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 I don't think we realized the, the, the enormity of what it was gonna do to our business. Um, and then all of a sudden, the world seemed to stop. I don't think any of us uh, in Los Angeles it, uh, uh, realized just how much uh, this pandemic would change everything um, or, or in so many different ways, not only how we film, how we ensure our crews, um, but also the sort of political landscape and, and the Black Lives Matter. None of us saw any of this coming. I mean, you literally couldn't write this. You know, we all feel here like finally we're in our own movie and we have no, and, we have, and, the, and the really scary thing is we don't even know what the ending's gonna be. We don't know where the middle of it is. We don't know nothing. We were all in, in this, we are all in this together. The difference of how the pandemic has, has affected the way that we film here is very different to anywhere else, I believe. We have a different system um, than, in, than anywhere else. So I think it's very, very different. You can't, you can't liken uh, Hollywood filming to London filming on many, many levels. You just can't because the, the, the numbers, just, they're just not the same. Um, ensuring an actor in, in London is, is a lot less than ensuring an actor here in, in Los Angeles. So, and also as, as we come to grips with the short-term effects of the virus, we have the long-term effects of the virus, who it's affecting most, and, and, and we're having to look at the data of all those things. So, you know, really at the end of the day, all we can do right now is sit back and try and assess how we move in this current situation what's going to be different going forward? What, what things are you going to keep and what things do you throw away when you're creating stories? The long-term ramifications for this virus, I honestly don't know. I think they're vast. Uh, and I think, you know, when we began this, it was simply how are we going to get back to filming? Now it's like, what are we going to film? And what are the stories that are we going to tell? Because what's changed in all of this is 
is the focus on on who we all are now as people you know in politics in color uh, in daily life and and i think this virus has 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 hit so many points of of affluence and you know i i i'm a white affluent male living in the hills of hollywood i'm not living down in a project in compton where this is much more devastating than it is for me so how that affects the stories that we tell i don't know all i do feel is the people that that most are validated to tell those stories are the youth you know i'm 54 years old i think it's time for me to to really give back to the youth to help them tell their stories and i say that because i've seen the effect it's had on my children and i have children at different ages different depths so i see how that affects and how they can't go out and validate themselves as, as, as anyone, not just as storytellers, as anyone. So how, this, how the long-term ramifications and the psychological effect it will have on the people that tell stories, I think it's really up to the youth. So for me, as I come out of this pandemic, my feeling is about giving, more, giving back more as a storyteller and knowing how to tell stories to the, to the youth, because I think, it's their, I think it's their story now to tell. How do you think the television business will change beyond this? I mean, what are the what are the bigger ramifications for the structures which previously drove the business, and how, how are those things changing? Before COVID began, um, I think the uh, our our international global distribution filming business was already experienced a, a ground shift in the way that we all you know, not, not so much made television, but how we communicated, how we sold it around the world. So that was already, that was already experienced a massive shift. And then this comes along. And what's interesting is I think, I would say now what happens is we're gonna start reshoring things. I think the only way to move through this safely until there's a vaccine and even after there's a vaccine, I think we're gonna to have to start reshoring our content. So we're gonna to have to, we're going to have to reinvest in our own community rather than looking beyond, looking at the international co-production model. Because the international co-production model right, right now absolutely does not work. Because everywhere else, these pockets are still going to be happening everywhere. So I think, I think there's going to be a massive, I think reshoring is going to be the new catchphrase. That's a, that's a, that's a great thing. It's a bad thing as well, because that we, that we can't sort of pollinate, we can't cross-pollinate our ideas. We can't move around like we did, you know, for Netflix. Netflix was, was shining a spotlight on, on all these countries that never had a spotlight put on them. Netflix was investing in all these different places. And that, that's why I love Netflix, because they showed the talent from around the world, whether it be in Saudi Arabia, in Africa. You know, there was such potential for that. Um, I think, and which there still will be, but I think we're going to have to reassure, like in, in Los Angeles right now, we have one million people unemployed, one million storytellers, you know, from from the grips to, to the camera guys, to the actors. We have 1 million people unemployed. And, and quite often we're always traveling from LA. I think we're gonna have to reshore. We've got it all here. We've got the studios, we've got the cameras, we've got the storytellers. We can't travel. So, so one answer to the problem we have now, if COVID, if there is no vaccine or, or therapeuticals, is to be able to, we're gonna to have to reshore everything here and, and invest in the people here until you know we, we get through this you know. it's almost become a little bit more entrepreneurial it seems ever since there was the big fallout with the agents prior to covid starting so what's that situation i think you know you know again going back to the fundamental change that we've all experienced here is the, the fact that you know the tech world the, the, the way that we communicate changes everything um 
So just before, so we were right before COVID, we were in the middle of a negotiation with the, the agents. And the way that we package television here is very different from anywhere else. Um, so we were on the edge of, 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 of basically a strike. And we we're about to say, look, you know, um, we're not okay with it, with it, with the way the contracts were. So, but I think the bigger agents have, can see the future of distribution and they realize that, that, that they realize that if they don't have uh, more ownership in their client's content, they're going to, they're going to see less and less reward. So then they would, so then what happened is they realized, well, why don't we, first of all, they were already packaging shows and packaging means on criminal minds, they would package our show. So they, they would help build the pilot. They would, they get the cast and the, they get the cast and they take, uh, they, they would take a percentage of the show thereafter. So every single episode, they take a piece. And that was, you know, we all understood that. Um, but now, you know, many, many other shows, many other writers didn't realize that they were, that apparently that they were being packaged. So that became a, a, a problem in, in the negotiation. So many, many writers left their agents saying, if you package, I won't be with you because that's not right. But on top of the packaging, they also wanted to produce their clients' content. So now they've got a piece of the packaging and now they're going to become producers. So, and I think, I think for my opinion of that is they realized that the, the, the profit share was going to get smaller and smaller because residuals are about to go away. So how can they be viable? How can they move? And how can they be more important in the clients, their clients' life than they were before? Because before it's basically an agent, like a sports agent still, you just got a percentage whatever they got, you didn't get to own a part of the t-shirt or part of the team. You didn't get to own the ticket sales of, of the stadiums. So they were trying to make themselves viable because they'd become very powerful. So, you know, and, and all of these things are changed by the internet and the way that we communicate, which is the one thing that's kind of saved us in this pandemic. So one thing that we do now, tech industry is going to be massive after this because we've all now so reliant on it. So, it's just how do we really how do I own and control what I create and 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 you know and and have a, a clear contract so I know who gets what from what I've created so all those things are are happening at the moment but what happened with the, the with with covid is it shut down like WME invested heavily into sports so suddenly they look they they've bought into sports they've leveraged a lot of their money into into sports and now there's no sports so obviously that puts the writers at a better bargaining because because we know that they're kind of like looking down the barrel and going what are we going to do now so i do think the negotiations will end well because actually because of this covid situation i think everybody's had time to really look at the the reality of the situation we're in and where we're going and where we're now not going you know what do you think in this sort of more global uh, picture about the relationship between the streamers and between traditional television and how that's going to evolve going forward and how traditional television can even survive against that? You know, Criminal Minds was a big show on a network. Um, how does that whole dynamic play out? And what do you see? How do you see the balance changing between what was network television, what was cable television and what is streaming? I think, you know, it's interesting because of, because of COVID and then because of Black Lives Matter, what's happening now is here, if you try and pitch a cop show like Criminal Minds, they just don't want to hear it because they don't believe that the youth want to hear anything to do with cops, which is interesting because a massive, some of the biggest shows 
of the last 20, 30, 40 years on television, if you look at them anywhere in any country, they're cop shows. So all of a sudden, there's a feeling that cop shows now cannot, they don't want them. There's a monitorial, no cop shows, no matter what it is, no cop shows. So that's, that's something that I, I obviously really didn't see happening. Um, I don't know, for me, for me, great storytelling is great storytelling. Um, I don't think much will change in what I do, but as I was saying before, um, the thing that I'm really excited to see is how the Black Lives Matter and the youth and, and how they tell stories. And I don't think the wonderful thing is, I don't think we know what that is because I'm not 20. I'm not experiencing it in the same way they are because I'm 54, so I've had a long, great life. So, and I'm excited to explore and help the young minds figure out what stories they want to tell because they're probably not going to be the ones I want to tell. Do you see what I'm saying? Or even would even would even know how to. For me, I think at the end of the day, I think there's going to be a kickback from the cop shows. I think a lot of those things are going to change. But I think, but but if I, if we go, we have to reshore stories, and we have to be more authentic to the place that we tell those stories. That's going to be interesting because that changes everything. Do you know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden, like we realise that once we've reshored our community, I think I think our stories are going to be even more diverse even more interesting. And there'll be some amazing storytellers. Like for instance, I saw uh, normal people, you know, and I was just, I, I didn't know who was in it. I didn't know who'd written it. I didn't know who'd acted it. And I, and I absolutely, one of the best things I've ever seen. It was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. The filming was extraordinary. The writing was beautiful. The actors were, were just great. And, and that defied everything that I've been taught here, which is you've got to have a name, you've got to have this, you've got to have that. No, you don't. Actually, you don't have to have any of, any of those things. You just have to some, have something that's absolutely authentic, absolutely beautifully written, absolutely beautifully acted. I think we will remember Normal People as one of the greatest shows told in the COVID experience. And that, to me, is the answer to all of it. Having grown up in England, when I look back on community and storytelling, and Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter has always mattered to me. I grew up in South East London, very diverse. But, you know, I had a little, I knew the Massive Attack guys a little bit many years ago. And when you look at Massive Attack and you look at the place where Massive Attack came from, it's, a, it's built on, on the base of slavery. Bristol is a slave port. And when you look at the, the, the diverse faces of Massive Attack, they're extraordinary. You, you know, in the, in the old days, you had Tricky, Mushroom, uh, 3D, uh, Daddy G. And you look at those faces and you look at how those guys communicated their art together, how they grew up together. They, Massive Attack even inspired Banksy. Um, and you realise that, that that's kind of, for me, is, is, is how we could be as a community. And if you look at those faces, like Madness and Specials, you don't have any bands like that anywhere, anywhere in the world other than England. They really, we have grown up together. And we have shared our community and our differences. And I think that's kind of, for me, the way forward. When Black Lives Matter here happened, I'd never seen so many white people together with black people fighting for the same thing. So I think that's going to be the answer moving forward. What do you think the content business has to do to support change? We would always have to go and pitch to the networks and we'd have to, we'd have to hear what they think is sellable. 
And I'm not, I'm not always, been, obviously I want them to buy my story. Of course I want them to buy my story. For, for too long, the faces of the people that said that's not sellable live in ivory towers. They have their name on a car park, they have their Porsche and they drive to their big house. I don't know if they really know, they're looking at data. You know, normal people is, again, to be boring, normal people is an example of something that obviously there was a group of people that realized how brilliant it was. But there are so many ideas, there are so many stories. I mean, can you, I can't even imagine the stories that are gonna come out from the kids that have lived this life right now of COVID. How, how, how's, how's, how, they, how have they been psychologically affected by this? So the stories that they tell will have a psychological imprint on the stories that we see later. As, as long as the people in the ivory towers and their faces change. And there's my, more diversity in their faces. There has to be more diversity because stories are diverse and, and, and stunning. You know, this little story out of Ireland, you know, it's like that could be anywhere. They just have to be white people. It could be black people in Detroit having the same experience. But unless the people at the top see the value of that, we're just gonna, we're just, I, and by the way, I don't think it's gonna, I think there's gonna be a river of stories when we come out of this, because the only people that can do something are writers. They can sit there and write all day long. And, and, but I think it's important that, that the wheelhouse of, of our business changes dramatically to, 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 to try and find and, and really work at finding those authentic stories, because there must be so many storytellers now desperate to tell stories. So that it's diversity and, and the diversity has to start at the top and, but the problem with that is hard work. It's really hard work because it's not easy. It's really hard to find a really important writer because probably the most important writers of our times have shown us that they were never successful in their time. People don't identify straight away, don't realize that they're, that they're, they're forward thinkers. So I think, I think on many levels, uh, we, we, we have to change the wheelhouse and how, 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 how we find talent and support talent. And, I think it's up to us now. We've taken so much from the business. The, you know, anyone who's 30, 40 and 50 above in this business has made a lot of money. We need to give back. We all need to go, hang on. We really need to support our youth. I mean, you only have to look at the UK and tell me, you know, it, it's, you know there's no funding for people that have got no money to go to drama school. When they suddenly go, let's, let's cut budgets at schools, they cut drama and music. They cut the arts. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. We have to reverse that. You know, learning maths is great, but learning music is way more interesting, right? So we need to sort of, I think we have to also reevaluate our education system and start, and start really investing in the youth and music and poetry and all those things that we make a lot of money out of. The whole of, the whole of Los Angeles is built on that. And yet the schools, if you go in there, the first thing they take is the, the instruments out because they're too much, no, let's go the other way. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. So I think on every level, we have to go back and rethink our education system, which was designed for the industrial revolution, because that's not where we are anymore. And we really, and I think this time has made us really had time to think about the state of everything. You know? Simon Mirren. Carrie Scogland is currently directing The Falcon and the Winter Soldier for Marvel, and previously sat in the director's chair for The Loudest Voice and Handmaid's Tale. She has been inspired by the tremendous sense of community that has merged across the business during COVID. She believes 2020 has changed all of our goals and caused us to stop, pause and think, which will inform storytelling and how we want to live for the rest of our lives. She also says the nature of how we are communicating has been simplified and a new intimacy has developed, which means that we see people more as they are. 
Hi, my name is Kari Skoglund. I'm a writer, director, producer, and I'm presently working on The Falcon and the Winter Soldier for Marvel. Uh, most recently, uh, The Loudest Voice uh, for Showtime with Russell Crowe. And um, prior to that, uh, I guess it was Nosferatu, Handmaid's Tale, and so on. What has your pandemic experience been like? Could you sort of talk us through how it went and what you think the sort of the fallout has been for your job and for the projects that you're working on? The pandemic has been a game changer for obvious reasons for all of us. For now, we will find a new rhythm in production. That's what we are obviously all exploring. Um, I hope to be going in back into production uh, in the next few weeks. And that's going to be um, uh, telling, you know, how much uh, how strictly we adhere or are able to adhere uh, and where we are able to start to be more lenient because numbers are, are uh, changing and all that within our environments. I think the most important thing that I have found in all of this, and it's on a personal basis as well, is this tremendous sense of community because we all are facing the exact same issues internationally. There's no country or person that hasn't been touched, um, no creator who can't, who isn't considering the creative impact on storytelling because we have a universal experience going forward that changed, I would say, probably all of our goals, morals. Um, certainly it made us all stop, give pause and think and so that's going to inform storytelling, um, most importantly, character storytelling and, you know, how we want to live the rest of our lives. Because all of a sudden, in a game-changing situation like this, I think it's forcing us all to take a hard look and make sure that what we're doing is both valuable, valued, and impactful in some way. Or at least I, I can only speak from experience, but that's been certainly the, the heavy impact on, on my own life. It's interesting, isn't it? We've all had this pause button pressed, as you say, and, and it's given us a chance to, to think and reflect and consider. Uh, how do you think those stories might change and those characters might change? Are we going to see more fantasy, more escapism, more introspection, more realism, less of something, more of another? Some of the way the changes are going to manifest, I think, in storytelling is going to be not just more fantasy, because I think there is a sense of wanting to um, kind of avoid what's going on. And at the same time, uh, because everyone's kind of inundated with it all, but at the same time, dig into what this tremendous fallout is from, a, from an emotional scale. So within sto stories that, that um, if they're not sort of fact-based, that doesn't mean factual. I mean that they are in some case bio or whatever. People really want the truth. They want authenticity. Even in the fantasy space, I think uh, we'll see less woo-woo and more somehow tackling some of the social and economic um, issues that we're facing, the emotional issues we're facing. They'll be embedded in the worlds that we're looking at, um, whether, you know, uh, whether it be political, because I, th I think we're facing some major political um, thing, uh, you know, change-ups coming around the corner, uh, coming at us like a freight train, frankly, but um, as a result of this pandemic, 
Um, so I think I'd like to think that we are all taking this very seriously because entertainment is the one of the few ways we can uh, take an issue out, dust it off, take a real look, hard look at it. We can do it with humor. We can do it with, uh, with drama. We can mix the two. Uh, we can do it with action. So there's all kinds of ways that we can, we can take these issues that we're now facing and really, you know, take them out for a road test, frankly. So that's what I'm seeing. So I think it's going to open the corridors um, of not only change, but of creative, um, creative juices as they've, and by the way, everybody who's been locked in their, you know, house for the last six months, they've been on the creative side, they've been doing nothing but write, imagine, you know, they've gotten busy. In terms of the other game changers that have been going on while we've been, uh, you know, quarantined as a result of virus, are the, the movements, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the moms movement, the, uh, the various groups that are coming together to say, wait a second, what's not right here? And um, really having a voice, a big voice. And I think, I mean, this isn't the first time we've heard these voices for sure. They've been going, and in fact, what is um, sad is that these uh, voices and the, the, the story that they are um, telling is not new. So uh, what's really great, however, is that while not new, they are more adamant and more, I think, listened to than ever before. And, um, and we're seeing that in the entertainment. We're really seeing a very big effort um, on everybody's part uh, to, to reflect diversity, to reflect uh, the audience that they're talking to, um, to include diversity on the set, because that's another place where diversity is sorely lacking, simply because it's a business that is very kind of hard to get into, and but it closed and you have to know people. And it's, you know, it's, it's a tough one um, if you're not inside it in some form or connected to it in some form. So it tends to be quite nepotistic. So I, I would like to say that out of this sort of horror story that we're living, there's so much good that's happening. And there's so much positive reinforcement for what we probably have been talking about, but maybe haven't been doing or there's been barriers to doing it for whatever reason. And now I think the Black Lives Matter movement in particular, sadly, as a result of such an obvious, you know, miscalculation of power um, that we're sitting now going, wow, we can affect change, all of us. And as storytellers, it's most more important, if not most important for all of us to kind of, you know, lock arms and go, yeah, we're at the forefront of what people see, what people do. You know, weirdly, many years ago, there was a movement to stop smoking in, in um, film because smoking was the coolest thing you could do. And everybody wanted, all the actors wanted to smoke. And, you know, it was the, the, the thing you did. You, um, and obviously, um, the, I'm saying 20 years ago, there was a movement to stop smoking. That meant, and we all thought, oh my God, it's gonna change the, you know, how we dramatize, it's gonna change characters, you know, cause this prop um, was so important. Uh, of course that prop was toxic. And what we were portraying to young people, young women in particular, funny enough, cause it was particularly targeted. They, I mean, they had uh, things like Virginia Slims and, you know, um, these, crazy, uh, these crazy cigarettes that were, um, you know, killers. And we, as a filmmaking community, 
we all stopped it. We just stopped showing people smoking and it made a huge impact. So the next generation was not associating smoking with being cool. And I guarantee a lot of lives have been saved as a result of that. So that's in a major minor, <laughs> major minor way. Uh, what we can do as a, as a collective. Going forward, I think we are all very, very conscious of safety. So that's sort of, you know, the first thing that we are all wanting to make sure that in the workplace environment, there is no one who's going to be, particularly if they're vulnerable, who's going to be, get sick and, and have serious complications as a result. So that's the first and foremost. And I think that conversation just will not stop. Having said that, we are all anxious to get back to work. So um, the crews can't sit for six months without work as, you know, as any, any business. Um, I think the, uh, you know, even down to the, you know, the, the networks and the, and the, um, the streamers and so on, they can't rerun forever. Um, so we are going to run out of pro, you know, what we do, which is uh, the entertainment of it uh, in terms of simple hours uh, that need to be on screen. So there is, I think a tremendous will to go forward and get going and solve the problems um, with as much effective discussion, but not necessarily, you know, open-ended discussion. Um, so in other words, solutions, decisions. And I think everybody wants to say, okay, let's go forward. Let's lane change as we need to pivot where we, where we must. Uh, and and be as together on this as we need to be to get out of this you know hole that we're in. I keep in my mind believing that a year from now we will look back and go, wow, whew, you know, got through that okay, um, and that things will actually normalize. I mean, I, I perhaps am. I, I don't necessarily feel like the sky is falling, and that. Yes, we will have changed forever, but does that mean that we won't revisit some of what we know from the past? I, I just tend to believe that there are some means and ways of doing things that will still come with us. What's really exciting is the doors that it's opening to how to make movies more simply, you know, and because there's been a couple of um, COVID movies made where, you know, they're sending in I guess a cameraman with a mic basically and a light on his camera and making a movie. And so it's, and also the, the other thing that I, I think is probably one of the most interesting fallouts of all this is that we have direct connectivity for the first time as a result of, of this kind of interaction with all of the stars, all of the creators, the, nature of how we are communicating has simplified. So suddenly the panels that, that I've been watching or I've been part of, um, the watching, you know, I don't know, name an actor who hasn't been on, on very accessible all of a sudden. We're seeing, you know, the books that they're reading behind on their, on their wall, you know. There's an intimacy that's, that's developed as a result of this, which, which means we see people as they are. They're not all made up. They're not, they're not um, a fabrication of themselves. They're actually, you know, Tom Hanks sitting there chatting, uh, talking about his experience. Um, wow. 
I think that is probably the biggest game changer that we will see. And then as a result of that, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to have ways to, to publicize and to talk about our, you know, you know, back to the creative of it and publicizing our, our shows and such, but also to the issues that, um, that we live and breathe and feel um, that we are embedding into our creative. So in other words, the conversation has just started in my mind. Are there certain things that are just not going to get made anymore? And there are certain new things that are going to be made much more in future in terms of the style and the genre of television that we're going to watch, do you think? Yes, I think that we are changing what we want to watch, what the tastes are, uh, what, um, most importantly, what history. I, I mean, I have a, I'm a big fan of history um, because I think history informs not just the present, but the future. And I've always loved working in the historical um, drama realm. And what I'm loving seeing is that right now there is an interest from the audiences to read, because, you know, so many people were in the storytelling of it were wiped out of history as if they weren't there. And they were there, um, whether they, whether it be, you know, across the diverse universe and across the stories that are internationally interlinked. So we have been so focused on very, I think, narrow-minded, um, not just telling of the stories, but the stories that have, are of interest. So it's like, uh, you know, Americans talking to Americans and English talking to English and French talking to French. And all of a sudden, you know, we are getting uh, projects that are in French and being shown in the U.S. and people love it, you know. So who said that um, you know, a, a subtitle was a bad thing. Somebody said that and therefore it became, you know, galvanized in the, uh, in the, you know, do not do list. So what I'm loving is that in amongst all this door opening is also an interest in, oh, how did the, that event, you know, that happened in Tokyo affect Washington or, you know, and vice versa. And I would love to think that we are now going to start to see um, in, in, you know, in, in the spirit of the Chernobyls and the various other projects that are in the, in the, the stages of um, uh, the various stages of production that got shut down or are about to start up, that we sort of dusted off the whole statuesque idea of history and we're now integrating it into you know, present and future. What do you hope for in the longer term and, and what lessons do you, do you not want to forget? The most uh, important lesson, I think, for, for me personally in this last couple of months was the time to reflect, be with family, and remember how much of a sacrifice we make in this business because we love it on a daily basis, just being outside of our, our own personal box. So it's about valuing time, I think, more than ever. And I don't know that that's anything different for any director. I, I, what I do for a living is time oriented. I, I have, my clock is, is money. So therefore um, I'm super conscious type A personality for, of time. But this, this has made us all sit, sit in our little bubble and percolate. And so for me personally, it's made me not just do an internal, you know, kind of deep dive, but also creatively uh, really 
have the resolve of going forward the kinds of projects that I want to do, the kinds of projects I want to, uh, the stories I want to tell that I'm that I've been carrying in my bag for a number of years, and now it's just time to really pursue that uh, because it's very easy to get distracted by the various things that come your way. Um, but ultimately, um, there's some stories that uh, that I, I need to you know figure out how to bring to the screen. And you know, on that note, I think this could open up many different ways to finance projects that are personal passion projects because of I was talking earlier about the connectivity and the the uh, intimacy that we now are feeling with each other with financiers with I mean um, with uh, celebrity you know we are all feeling much more able to connect the 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 walls of the offices and the big buildings and the gates uh, that you have to get through um, and the meeting rooms and the boardrooms it all seems to be breaking down. Um, and the result of that is, I think, accessibility to stories that would otherwise have too many gatekeepers in, the, in, in place. So I think the lessons that I'm learning is to now go for it. <laughs> That's the, probably the best way to put it. Carrie Scogland. That's all for today. We hope you're coping wherever you are in the world and that your content business is adjusting to a new normal. Check out other episodes in the C21 podcast to hear perspectives from around the TV world. My name's David Jenkinson. Thanks for listening.